going to be in John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Now, as we've been studying in Revelation, we've been studying about God's judgment in the final pouring out of the bold judgments the last two weeks. We could have continued on in that vein for Thanksgiving because obviously there is Thanksgiving that is given to God even for his judgment. But this morning, I wanted to share with you just a a short lesson that we can learn from a situation that we may not associate ourselves with personally on the surface, but it affects all of us. All of us are subject to this mindset that we're going to see here in John chapter 6. And let me give you the context. We're not going to read the whole chapter But the first part of John chapter 6 talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Remember, he was teaching 5,000 men. In addition, there were women and children. They were there for quite a while, and then it became mealtime, and there was no food. The disciples came and said, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, go see what you can find among the people. And they came back with uh, five small loaves and two small fishes that were part of a boy's lunch. And then we know the story how Jesus miraculously multiplied that food and fed the entire crowd till they were full with 12 baskets of leftovers. So it was a great miracle that Jesus performed. The second event that happens in John chapter 6 is Jesus walking on water. When that event was done, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent his disciples across the sea while he went to pray. They were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that night a storm came up, and the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, and he calmed their fears, he stilled the sea, and then they were on the other side. And that's where we pick this passage up today in verse 22, is right after the walking on water the next day. And so that's where verse 22 starts. So let's read this passage together down through verse 41. It says, The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, albeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks." When the people, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. 
And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. We're going to stop there this morning. And then let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at our message this morning. Lord, again, as we bow before your word, as we submit ourselves to your authority, through the power of your scriptures, Lord, may you do your work in us. May we submit ourselves to you. Open our hearts, we pray, and open our minds to receive the truth that you have for us. And may your spirit teach us and guide us to understand and to apply these things in the way that you would want us to. And Father, now I pray that you would use me and fill me with your spirit during this time. I am just a weak human being. I'm a sinful man, and yet you've chosen to use me as your spokesperson. So Lord, I pray that you would speak today clearly through me. I pray that this message might broadcast your truth and proclaim your glory even during this time, that you might receive the praise for what's done here this morning. And so Father, we thank you for what you're going to do, and we thank you for your word, which we are which we are reading now and listening to the exposition of. And may you be glorified in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving this week, and I hope none of you forgot about that, because uh, some people will be disappointed on Thursday if you're not prepared for that. But Thanksgiving, unfortunately, has been relegated to a day a year that we give thanks, and the world basically gets a day off of work, and they give a generic thanks. Thanks for the good stuff. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for whatever. But what's absent is a thanksgiving to God, a real thankful heart, actually, because without a thankful heart to the Lord, there's no such thing as true thanksgiving. And so I hope all of us are thankful in our hearts to God, because he's the one from which everything comes in the first place. And we should thank each other. We should thank those people who serve us and who provide for us and who help us along life's way. But it goes to God first of all, and we have to keep that in mind. This passage is not what we would consider a Thanksgiving passage, but there's some principles in it that we can apply in having a truly thankful attitude, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day of our lives as believers. And that's why we're going to look at this. Before we get into these lessons, I want to share with you this story. It was told of two old friends who bumped into one another on the street one day. And the one friend hadn't seen the other friend in quite some time, and he was surprised to find that he was kind of walking really slowly with his head down. He seemed really sad, on the verge of tears. And so his friend asked his sad friend, he's like, what is the world is going on? What has the world done to you that you're so sad? And the sad fellow said, well, let me tell you what happened. Three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me $40,000. And the other friend perked up. He said, 
Well, I understand that it's sad that your uncle died, but $40,000, that's a lot of money. What, uh, what, that's not really that sad. And he said, but wait, that's not all. Two weeks ago, a cousin that I never knew died, and he left me $85,000. And the other friend kind of stood back, and he said, well, you know, I, I apologize. I, I offer my condolences for the death in your family, but, you know, that's a lot of money that God has just blessed you with. And you didn't even really even know this cousin. And he said, no, you don't understand. He said, last week then, my great aunt passed away, and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. And the guy's just flabbergasted. And he said, well, it's a lot of death in your family, but God has immensely blessed you with this money. He said, no, you don't understand. This week, it's been nothing. God's given me nothing. Now, that's the trouble with taking for granted God's blessings. Okay? Because we come to expect the same things over and over and over and over. And then when God doesn't come through with what we expect, it's like, what did you forget about me, God? I'm I'm sitting here struggling. I didn't get my million dollars this week. What's wrong with you? Okay? And so we can associate to some degree with this man because God does bless us. He blesses us more than we deserve. And it doesn't matter what your life looks like or what your circumstance look like at this point. God has blessed you. The fact that you are sitting here in this church is evidence that God has blessed you. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the greatest blessing that anybody could ever receive, is salvation from sin. And so God has blessed all of us immensely more than we really even pay attention to. But we've come to expect the blessings. And so in a way, we adopt in our Christian life a kind of entitlement mindset that because I'm a good Christian God, because I follow you, because I say my prayers, because I go to church, that means that I deserve God's blessing in my life. And that's not true. It's not restricted to believers. This is the mindset of unbelievers as a whole, honestly. This is the entitlement mindset that you see all around us in our society, around the world. I mean, in our country, we live in a land of freedom and opportunity that's allowed all of us who live here to enjoy blessings and benefits, prosperity that are unequaled anywhere else in the world. And over time, people have come to believe that these blessings, that these uh, extra things that really are not to be just assumed that we should have, that they are entitled to them. They are entitled to money. They are entitled to good things. They are entitled to education. They are entitled to good health care. Well, let me tell you something, folks. None of us are entitled to any of it. We don't deserve anything. But that's the mindset that permeates not just unbelievers, but believers sometimes. And when we get in that mindset, then we take that next step to say, well, since I'm entitled to these things then it's up to others to provide them for me. And we can put that, that uh, responsibility either on God or on other people. But frankly, we're not entitled to anything. 
But we've come to expect that just because God has blessed us, that that's the pattern. God has to continue to do do that. He's obliged to continue blessing us. Now, that's really what we see here in John chapter 6. As I mentioned, these people had gathered to hear Christ teach. And they sat all day. They listened to his teaching because they were interested. Now, they came because they knew he did miracles. That's what brought them there in the first place. And then he did heal some of them, but then he taught them. And he taught them for quite a long time, important truth. And the end of the day, he fed them all, and then he sent them home. And he sent his disciples across the sea, and then he followed afterwards. And so the next day is where we are in this passage, and Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and the people come back to where they got the food, and they're looking around saying, well, Jesus isn't here. Let's go find him. We need to be where he is. Now, that's not a bad attitude. I mean, that's how we should approach our day. We need to be where Jesus is. But their motivation was wrong. And their motivation produced an attitude of entitlement that many of us, unfortunately, carry with us because we just assume God's going to take care of us because he always has. Now, as we read this passage, and I'm not going to go through the whole passage again, but I want to point out three lessons for us this morning. And I'm not going to take a long time in doing this, but these are important lessons for us to learn. Okay? When you read this, what you see is an attitude. Okay? It's the attitude of the people. It's not the actions. It's the attitude. Now, the actions demonstrate the attitude. But the attitude is of entitlement. It's unthankfulness. There's no thanksgiving that's talked about in this passage at all. You can't find it in this chapter. Because these people had this mindset that, well, this is God. He's going to do this for us. We deserve it to some degree. But at thankfulness is an attitude that develops naturally in a believer as we grow in understanding who God is and as we go, grow in our relationship with him. It's easy for a believer, even, to be unthankful because we assume so much, especially in our country where we have so much. But thankfulness is something that unsafe people just don't possess, okay? True thankfulness. Now, I'm not saying they don't say thank you. I'm not saying they don't thank other people. But an unbeliever never truly thanks God, and that's where thankfulness starts. It's an attitude about God and toward God that is the substance of true thankfulness. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, Because that, talking about unbelievers, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. There's the definition of an unsafe person. They know God, but they don't recognize him as God, and they're not thankful. And so they're foolish. It says, but they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. That vain in their imaginations they basically are thinking that life is all about me. It's what I get out of it. It's what God owes me, okay? And all of this stuff in our politics today that says these things are inherent rights of individuals and so therefore they should have them by default, education, health care, all of these things, they're not rights. They're not something we deserve. Those are blessings, okay? And frankly, let me put this in there, We don't get blessings without responsibility. And people want blessings without responsibility. 
But true thankfulness only comes from an understanding of the truth about ourselves and about who God is. So I want to share with you three heart attitudes that we see here in this passage that define what true thankfulness is, or actually where it's lacking in these people. First of all, as we read through this passage, and I already mentioned this, what's missing? There's no thanksgiving. No one says thank you. The people didn't, it doesn't record that the people said thank you to Jesus for feeding them the day before. They were glad to have the food, but there was no thanks. Does that describe us many times as believers? Yep, God, I'm glad to have it. Yep, I said my perfunctory, Lord bless this food, thank you, amen. But do we truly have a thankful heart that, is, that it is provision from God? Or do we go to the refrigerator thinking, well, I shopped this week, and so I have food in my refrigerator, so thank you, God, that I got to go to Walmart. No, everything we have comes from God. We have to understand that. And if we don't understand that everything that we have comes from God, then we'll truly never be thankful for it. And it has to be directed toward him. So thankfulness comes from a heart that is directed toward God. And the first principle here is thankfulness arises out of a heart of contentment rather than want. In other words, if you look at your life and you're continually thinking, well, I'd like to have this, I'm really short on this, God, I just don't have enough of this, if that's the pattern of your prayer, then there's really no thankfulness there. Because thankfulness starts with contentment. These people were not content with one meal. They came to get more food. Jesus said that. Okay? They followed him across the sea. Yeah, they wanted to be where Jesus was, but the only reason they went was to get more food. Because Jesus met one of their physical needs. And that was their problem. They weren't content with what God had already given them, and they weren't content with what Jesus was trying to give them that was far more important than food at that point. He was teaching them the truth. As they gathered, they got food. And so they came back not for the teaching. They came back not even for the miracles, Jesus said. They came back for the food because they couldn't be content with what God had given them already, and they wouldn't be content with what God was offering to them. That was of far more importance. It comes down to a matter of priorities. What are we most thankful for? What do we value most in our life? Those are the things that we're going to praise God for the most. Do you praise God for your food, for your house, for your car? You should. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you shouldn't thank God for the physical provision, but how often do you thank him That he is God. I mean, if he wasn't God, we'd be hopeless. None of us would have any hope at all. If Jesus hadn't come, we'd still be hopeless. If Jesus hadn't offered forgiveness, we'd still be hopeless. How often do we truly thank God for the bigger blessings than the physical provision God gives us? Or do we just assume, you know what, I've got God, yeah, that's enough. Okay, God, you've got to give me the stuff I need. See, that's an entitlement mindset. And when we have an entitlement mindset, we're never content with what God has already provided for us. So in Philippians, 
Paul says, be careful for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It's a verse about prayer, but Paul talks about as you bring your request before God, you should do so with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? For what he's already given you. For the fact that he's given you a promise that he will take care of you, that he will provide all your needs, Philippians 4.19. But his provision is not according to our definition of our needs. His provision is according to what he knows we need, and what he knows we need most is more of him. And so sometimes he doesn't provide physically so that we go to him seeking more of him rather than just more food. But that's still his provision. And so when Paul says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, he's talking about those times that we go to God and we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm short. I'm sick. I don't have this that I need. My car broke down. My house is broken. My friends abandoned me. All of life's starting to fall apart, God. What's going on? Can you fix all of that? And what we miss is the lessons that God is trying to teach us through that. And those lessons are far more important than the physical stuff that he gives us. Because when he takes that stuff or withholds that stuff from us, he's trying to teach us the lesson that we need more him more than anything else. And it drives us back to him. Okay, I don't care who you are. You pray the most when you're in trouble. And this has been proven even in a secular world, unsaved people. When disasters happen, People start praying. And that's exactly what God wants, is to draw people to himself. And so he allows disasters to happen so people will come to him for the more important thing. But just like us, these people weren't content with Jesus. They just wanted the food. Paul also speaks in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, when Paul wrote those words in Philippians 4, he wrote them sitting in jail, chained to a Roman guard, probably expecting that his life would not last much longer. He was about to go before the Roman emperor. And so he was at the end of his life, And yet he says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. Whatever God has given me now, wherever God has put me now, whatever circumstances God has allowed in my life now, that's okay. I'll accept that. I'm content, satisfied, because I know God's in control, and that's all that matters. Then right after that, he explains that phrase. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he goes on in verse 12, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, I can be content in what God has allowed me to be in. Whether he withholds, whether he provides, I'm content with that. And then the verse that we all know and love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's saying, I can suffer. 
I can go without. I can be content. In those situations that are hard, even when my life is in danger because God's in control. And that's more important than physical provision. Contentment begins when we accept that God's in control of our lives and he's already given us everything that we need for this moment in our lives. And if we can't be content with what God has done right now, then we will never be thankful. Now, the things that we think we need beyond what we already have, that's Satan. He uses our flesh to move us in one direction or the other, tossed about with every wind of want. Well, God, I don't think this is enough. Well, God, I think I need this. Well, this is all right, but I'd like to have something better. And so we never are satisfied. There's always the greener grass on the other side of the fence. And just remember, okay, the greener grass on the other side of the fence is Satan's septic tank. That's why the grass looks green. You don't want to be there. But we need to learn to be content with what God has already given us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul, again, teaching a young pastor, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The most important thing, the most prosperity I could ever have in my life, Paul says, and that you could ever have in your life, godliness, that means closer to God and being content with what you have physically. I'm sorry, a couple verses later. In verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6, he says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. He didn't say how much food. He didn't say three meals a day. He just said, having some food, having clothing to put on, let us be content. Now, raiment means you have something to wear. It doesn't mean you have something different to wear every day. Raiment means your body is covered. And I don't see anybody naked here, thankfully. So God has provided for you. So the next time you go to your closet or your refrigerator and you open it up and you go, there's nothing to wear, there's nothing to eat, and you don't have room to put anything else in it, that's a sign of discontent. Okay? Be thankful for what God has already provided. And it starts with being satisfied with what God has already given you because you have exactly what you need for this moment. And why is that so important? Because God, just like Jesus was teaching these people, God wants us to understand there's something more important than physical provision. Our reliance on God, our worship of God, our adoration for God is more important than what we actually have in this life. So be content with what you have. That's the first principle of a truly thankful heart. Second, thankfulness arises out of a heart of humility rather than entitlement. Now, I already talked about the entitlement mindset, but look at verse 30. Look at what these people say to him. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? I need something else, God. I need you to show me something else or give me something else to prove that you are who you said you're going to be. You are obligated... To give me something, is what they're saying. Now, there's something to be said for faith in God's promises. And we should claim God's promises in our life and in our prayers. That's how God wants us to pray. But we can't pick our, our, our most favorite promises and only pray those, right? And I've talked to people, 
And they'll say, well, I don't understand why God didn't give me what I wanted. The Bible says, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. By the way, that verse doesn't mean that if you go to church, read your Bible, and pray once in a while, that God's going to give you everything you want. Okay? But that's how people think. Many times we go to God in prayer, and we're basically saying that because we're a faithful Christian, we deserve what he's going to give us. And as I mentioned already, we don't deserve anything. So if you feel like God has abandoned you or God hasn't done his part by not providing what you're supposed to be thankful for, you have an entitlement mindset. Now, God wants us to be humble. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. Humble. What does that mean? means, okay, God, whatever you decide, I have to accept that because you're in control. I'm not the authority of my life. I don't know what's best for my life. Now, how many of us can actually claim that here? I don't know what's best for my life. Humility is a hallmark of saving faith. Because you can't get to saving faith unless you start with a humble attitude. Pride, arrogance, that goes against everything that God is and that God wants for us. And so thankfulness starts with the humility, realizing that we don't deserve anything. We are nothing, really. You've heard me say this before, because that's what the Bible teaches. We are nothing. And Jesus taught this in the parable of the prodigal son. And you know the story. The son takes his inheritance early, goes off, and lives a life of partying, and frivolity, he wastes all the money that he's supposed to keep to live on and invest for the rest of his life. It's gone. He ends up living in a pigsty, eating pig's food because he has nowhere else to go and no friends. So finally, he comes to his senses and he says, you know what? If I crawl back to my father begging him just to make me a servant, at least I'll have a little food and some place to live. And he goes back with that attitude. Father, all I want is just make me a slave so I have somewhere to live and something to eat. And what does the father do? Runs when he sees him. Embraces him. Throws a big party for him. Treats him like this is the exalted son. Not because the son came back going, Father, I want all the blessings of being your son again. He came back with a humble attitude saying, I don't deserve anything. I just want to be your slave. That's what Christianity is. Coming to God saying, God, I know I don't deserve anything. Just make me your slave and that'll be enough. And God exalts us to be his children with all the blessings that come with it. And we think we deserve those blessings. Thankfulness starts when we understand that God has given us good things even though we don't deserve them. See, that's the definition of grace. We don't deserve anything, and so, but God is still good to us. It's because of his grace that we have salvation. We didn't deserve that. It's because of his grace that we're alive. We don't deserve that. We didn't choose to be here. We didn't choose to live our lives. God put us here for a reason. God blessed us with life. God blessed us with everything that we have out of his grace. 
See, it's when we get to that point that humility starts to become part of our character. We realize God did all this and I didn't deserve it. I'm nothing. Jesus taught this in his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Those people who realize they are morally, spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing good they have to offer God. There's nothing good about them. There's nothing in and of themselves they can say, look God, here, here's something good in me. Because we're just wayward sons, we've chosen the filth of the world over the righteousness of God, and yet he's waiting with outstretched arms to welcome us home if we come to him, if we have the attitude of, all I want, Lord, is to be your slave. And then he gives us the undeserved blessings of salvation. And when we understand salvation in that context, then we start to see God's grace in a whole new light. And we start to appreciate salvation a whole lot more. And we become truly thankful for what God has given us that we didn't deserve. See, it all begins with an attitude of humility rather than entitlement. We don't deserve anything. And that's where we need to start in thanking God. God, thank you because I don't deserve any of this. And yet you've given it to me anyway. That's a thankful attitude. Third, thankfulness arises out of a heart of worship rather than a heart of self-satisfaction. Now, these people came to Jesus Christ. They wanted food. That's all. Jesus knew their heart. They were looking for more food because they got free food the day before. A lot filled up. Many of these people probably didn't get that much in three or four days, and yet They had all of it in one meal with leftovers. And they wanted more food. And Jesus told them, you didn't come for me. You didn't come for the truth. You didn't even come for the miracles. You came for the food. And he said, but I have something better to offer you. He says, you're looking for bread. I am the bread of life. All you need is me. You need God more than physical provision. In verse 41, the place that we stopped in our reading, it says, The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They complained. What, you're not going to give us any more food? What, you think you're all we need? Just this guy out in the wilderness doing miracles, teaching these things that are interesting, but you're not going to feed us now? I mean, how often do we treat God that way? And and I've counseled people who basically have said, God doesn't really care about me because look at my life. God hasn't given me everything that I need. Why should I bother worshiping him? Why should I obey him? See, it doesn't work that way. We don't obey God. We don't worship God because he gives us things. That's not our response. Our response should be we worship God because he's God. Not because of what he does. He deserves our worship even if he never gave us anything. Now Philippians 2 says one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
That day is when Jesus sets himself up in his millennial kingdom on his throne. He has judged all unrighteous people and elevated all those who followed him to an exalted status. But those people who he's judged will still recognize him as Lord and they will still bow the knee before him because they realize that they've rejected the king of heaven and the king of earth for their whole life and now there's nothing they can do about it. But they will have to worship him in judgment. We've seen that in Revelation. But all people will worship him. And see, it's our priorities again that get in the way of our worship because we only worship God, we only thank God when things happen the way we think they should, when we get what we think we need, when our life is good. Thank you, God, you're good, you're always good. What about when that person we're praying for dies? What about when that sickness gets worse? What about when we go without food? What about when we don't have money in our account? What about all those trials that happen when people abandon us and our family fights against us? Did God abandon us? Did he forget about us? No, he's still God. He's still in control. And he still deserves our worship. And as we've read in the Psalms, part of that worship is thanksgiving. He still deserves our thanks, even though we don't think our life is going so well. These people missed their real need. Instead, went after what they thought would satisfy them. See, we're looking for self-satisfaction. We're not looking for God. Too many people live their Christian lives that way. I'm going to define my Christianity according to what I think it should be. Now, I'm going to use some Bible verses to kind of shape that, but it's my life. I'm going to make it my Christianity, and no one can tell me otherwise. God's not in control then. We really don't want God. We just want the blessings without the responsibility of submitting to him. These people were looking for physical satisfaction rather than being satisfied with Jesus. Now, we saw just a few minutes ago, Jesus was offering something that was more important than food, what this earth could offer. And I've already used this verse, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, 4. Okay? When our satisfaction is found in Jesus instead of the physical provision, what we desire changes. Now think about it. When we get to heaven, what on this earth are we going to take with us? Nothing. The only thing that we take from this earth to heaven is our relationship with the Lord. That's it. So if our satisfaction is found more in physical things and in God providing our needs in our mind here than in just accepting him as God, that he is God, that he knows what he's doing, and that he has our good in mind. If we can't get there, then we'll never be thankful for what we have. See, when we understand that God is all we need, then we will worship him the way we should. We will worship him in praise and thanksgiving. Because again, going back to the second point, it's all in grace. 
It's all about God's grace. Here's the truth. The truth is that many of us have come to love the provisions more than the provider. We love the gifts more than the giver. We want God's blessings more than we want God. That's not worship. You don't worship God just because you thank him for what he's done for you. Worshiping God means worshiping him for who he is no matter what he does. Now, is that the way we worship? Or do we sometimes come to church going, all right, I'll sing the praises, God. I'll sing the hymns. I'll say thanksgiving. I'll say the prayer. But I'm really upset with you right now because you didn't do it the way I thought you should do it. Our attitude is not about what God has given us. It should be what we know God to be. The psalmist in Psalm 136 says it perfectly. He says, oh, good, oh give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Not once in those three verses does the psalmist say, give thanks to the Lord because he feeds you every day. Give thanks to the Lord because he provides you transportation. He's given you good friends. He's given you a good car. Or even, he's given us a good church. It's not for what he's done. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. It focuses on the character of God, not on his gifts. And that's where true thankfulness starts, when we focus on the character of God and we thank him for being God, rather than what he does for us all the time. I mean, what is there more to be thankful for? That, than that God is God. If he wasn't God, we'd be in serious trouble. And it's not about what he does for us. It's the fact that he's God. He's in control. That's all that matters. Jeremiah was a prophet. In the days of Israel's judgment, he was a prophet before the last attack of Babylon. He was living in Judah at the time early part of his life. He experienced the attacks of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed Jerusalem, took thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in exile, killed a lot more, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city. Jeremiah lived through all of that. And then he was left there in the desolation of Israel. Hardly anybody left that he knew. Nowhere to go. God kept him right there. And yet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Now, the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah's lamenting of God's judgment, but it wasn't of God's judgment just because God judged. It was lamenting the sin of his nation. He's sad because God had to bring judgment because of their sin. Okay, that's the right lamentation, if you will. But in the middle of that book that's all about Jeremiah lamenting the sins of his people and God's judgment because of it, He says this in verse 24 of chapter 3, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. He has nothing. There are no more people around that he can associate with. Everything is destroyed. His country is now ruled by a foreign heathen nation. And yet he says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. He understood this principle. He worshiped God because God was God, period. Not because of what God did. He accepted the suffering because he knew it was God's righteous judgment for Israel's sin. 
And the difference was for him was that he wasn't basing his hope on having a better life. It wasn't that God had given him all the physical provisions. It was that God was still in control. God was still God. And he says, okay, God, you're all I need. You are my portion. So in God alone, he had everything that he needed. And so do we, regardless of our circumstances. If we have God, we have everything we need. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about that. God will take care of you. But worship God because he's God. If we want to be truly thankful, if we want to experience the blessing of truly being able to give God thanks, we need to change our attitude. We need to stop focusing on what we want, what we don't have, start thanking God for what he's already done. And even the hard things, the trials, the suffering, the pain, the sickness, even death. Are we thankful for those things? We need to stop thinking that we deserve God's gifts and in humility start thanking him instead for his grace because we don't deserve anything. And we need to stop loving the gifts more than the giver and thank him for who he is, period. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't praise God for what he does. We shouldn't thank him for what he does. But let our praise and thanksgiving be because he is God. The rest of it is all secondary. When your attitude changes so that you're thankful for the who rather than the what, then you really start to understand what a heart of thankfulness is all about. Are you having trouble thanking God in your life? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You can't be thankful if you're far away from him. You can't be thankful if you're on your own path, living your own life, doing your own thing, expecting God to bless you. It doesn't work that way. We have to submit to him as God. Be thankful that he is God. And focus on him rather than the gifts. Because with him, we already have everything. All the riches that are in Christ Jesus. And if that's not enough for you, then you've got serious problems spiritually. Just like these people who just wanted the food. You're only following God for the gifts rather than following because he is the giver. Remember, without God, you have nothing. With God, you lack nothing. You have everything. And so we need to begin by thanking God that we belong to him and there's nothing else that we need besides that. That's where a a heart of true thankfulness starts. And when we start there by thanking God for who he is, then we will truly be thankful for all the other stuff as well. Because it all starts with him. So let's be thankful this year and forever Because that's what it's going to be in heaven, just thanking God because he is God. Let's have a word of prayer.
Our Father, again, we just thank you that you have made us yours in Jesus Christ, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us out of your perfect nature, because of your, you've shown your mercy and grace to us, and you've offered us salvation in Jesus Christ, in whom we have everything. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a desire for more of you rather than for more of what you can give us. I pray that you'd make us humble before you as we experience your abundant grace and create in us a heart of thanksgiving through which we will serve you and serve other people so that they might also be able to lift up your name and become thankful people as well. And may you be honored in our lives as we go from this place, as we seek to lift your name up in this world, called to be ambassadors after your will and purpose for us. And so, Lord, make us truly thankful for who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to give you an opportunity to thank the Lord. The psalmist says, praise the Lord in the congregation. We've sung already praises. But this isn't just about praising God. When we praise God together, it's edifying each other because we know that God is still concerned. God is still working. You know, and I come up here every Sunday not because I have to and this is my job. I come up here every Sunday, and hopefully this is my attitude, and sometimes I struggle with it because I know that through this service, through this fellowship, through the worship that we give to him, God is exalted, period. That's the only motivation. It doesn't matter what I get out of it. It doesn't matter what you get out of it. What matters is that God is glorified. So even as we praise the Lord and thank him together, we glorify the Lord and exalt and, and edify each other. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you would like to share something you are thankful for. And my sermon wasn't to discourage you from thanking for what he has done, okay? But I want us to go beyond that in our attitude. So, that, so who has something to share? Something you're thankful for? Connie? I'm thankful for my salvation and thankful for all that for giving me a Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Who else? Katie? Yes. Thankful that God does not give us what we deserve. That's for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, the scripture gives us the best picture of God beyond what we can comprehend ourselves, so we need to stick with that. Anything else? Yes. I have about three pages here. <laughs> 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 but I've been narrowing down. I'm thankful to be raised by Christian parents. Amen. Thankful for my mother and father who, who um, introduced Christ to my, my younger brother, Paul's average. Yes. Amen. She not only was content, but she felt she won. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Anyone else? Greg. Amen. Karen? Absolutely. To get through all of the mess. Brandon. Absolutely. Yeah, I had our pastor once say, he came to give us abundant life and abundant hope, and if you're missing it, it's your fault. <laughs> yes, Dave. I'd like to thank the Lord for his word and his promise that that word would stand the test of time, and it's still here and available today. Absolutely. And being preached endlessly throughout this world, and that is a testimony in itself. Yeah, Amen. Nick? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, Colossians says we are complete in him, so we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. There's a hand back here. Or maybe I was just seeing things. Yes, George. Absolutely. And as many of you know, about a month ago I was in a car accident, somebody slammed us and we were here in the parkway. And uh, I say, well, every morning before I go to work and I drive for a living, uh, I pray that God gives me safe traveling mercy. But you say, well, maybe you didn't get mercy through that morning. I say, well, wait a minute, both cars are both, but nobody was hurt. Amen. Absolutely. And it's always good. The answer's always right. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Emma? Amen. Absolutely. Jerry. Amen. You've lived quite a few years for a lot of blessings and a lot of trials, but, you know, in all of that, we give God thanks. Yes. Amen.
Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, we have to be thankful for the people that have come before us because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. You know. Um, I'm going to quote Paul when I say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I am truly thankful for this church, for the leaders that were in this church before me, who God used to prepare the foundations of what we are today. And the fact that we have a perfect church. Not really, but <laughs> could be a lot worse, right? No, we are exactly who God wants us to be as we gather here. And he's going to keep doing his work in us. And so for that, we can truly be thankful. All right, last chance. Anything else? Amen. Yeah, they're, they're thanking God in their own language back there, so... <laughs> All right, let's finish with a song of praise to God. We're going to sing All Creatures of Our God and King, number 31. Now, you may have noticed 